ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pause Reviews Podcast, the show where me and Tim surf the interwebs to help you find something awesome to watch tonight. As always, I'm your host, Frank. And this is Tim. And I am stupid excited for today's episode. Yeah, you are. For many a reason. <laughs> uh, I think I know your voodoo library well enough to know what's sort of in there or what might be in there. And so uh-huh. I think I've seen it in there a couple times. So that's why I like sort of we just kind of came to that moment sort of together and i was like i've been meaning to watch it anyway because it's in there so why not oh my god so and that's that's what secondarily makes me crazy excited i don't know if that's the right phrase but it i am i was stoked when i found out you hadn't seen it because one of my all-time favorite things is looking at a movie that one of us has like a really strong opinion on and the other one has not yep. seen. And I feel like to date, that's always gone this way. I've seen it. I love it. You've never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually pitched the idea. I was like, you know, I run it by the wife and be like, do you want to watch this one with me? So I can, you know, plan my week and figure out when I'm going to watch it. And, uh, she said, that's a movie about, uh, at home baking the oven pizzas, right? Like how mm-hmm. you make pizzas. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Um, <laughs> Oh no, you're thinking about DiGiorno. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, yeah, you're right. Um, the, the prequel to Tombstone. <laughs> the trilogy is all summarized by Red Baron. That uh, the, the, the sequel would be Tombstone Rising Crust or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then there was that weird spinoff no one liked, Celeste or, or whatever yeah. it was. <laughs> and the kids' version is Elio's. Um, <laughs> Why do we know so many frozen pizza brands? Uh, Freshetta. Okay. I did really just go through a, a, a. I went through a Totino's pizza roll phase. Uh, having a kid, I really kind of uh, my my taste in foods went back to childhood level. So all during parental leave, it's like lunch today is going to be corn dogs and pizza rolls. I love that you blame it on the kid who <laughs> drinks breast milk and formula exclusively, and you're like, exactly. Oh man! But you know what's funny about that? I was the exact same way, but with like with shows. And so when I was when we found out we were having Gabriel. In immediately, I bought like the entire series of Darkwing Duck, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, right. uh, DuckTales, uh, all the whole Looney Tunes library, everything I could get. And Alyssa's like, Why are you buying all this stuff? And I was like, We need it for the kid. And he's like, He doesn't even, he's not gonna watch anything for a while and doesn't speak English and has <laughs> no concept of what's happening on the screen. And I was just like, No, we need this, baby. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's the baby's fault. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, totally true. So for me, the movie Tombstone is, it's such a, it. I, I mean, I have to, I, I want to put this out there from jump. I am completely and totally biased. Like, mm-hmm. I love this movie. We'll talk a bit more about the whys and how that might affect my opinions as this episode continues. But, you know, I saw, I probably saw this movie, I don't know, around 97 ish. So this, the movie tombstone came out in 1993. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, my mom remarried my dad, well remarried my stepfather who I just say dad, but so, so my dad and my mom got married in 1997 and so, you know, I don't remember when I saw it. I certainly yeah. didn't see it in 1993, but I would say uh, conservatively, 
1997, I saw it. So, you know, seventh grade, around the age of 12. This was one of my dad's favorite movies. There's maybe two or three movies he loves. This is one of them. Uh, The other one being A Few Good Men. And so, not only do I love the movie, but I think for me it holds a special place because this is one of those that, like, my dad and I quote constantly like yeah. to this in fact when i told him so i called him he's like uh i said hey man i'm we're doing tombstone this week and he goes oh that's awesome i mean and what's <laughs> funny my dad is not an excitable person right, right so right. like even if something thrills him it's just kind of like oh that's great yeah that's really great <laughs> <laughs> and so so i'm like yeah we're doing tombstone he's like oh yeah fantastic <laughs> and i said yeah uh you know tim had never seen it and i called him because you know doing a lot of research i had found a bunch of stuff out and i was like Dude, I know you know most of this stuff, but check this out. Check this yeah. out. He's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so, so I said, Tim has never seen it. And, and he goes, what? And I was like, yeah, he, he's never seen it. And he goes, that man is not qualified to talk into a microphone. <laughs> Seems like we missed an opportunity. I should uh, step away and you should bring in your, your, your father now. Oh, uh, that would be... Probably the worst episode ever. <laughs> it, would, it would be exactly as. Oh yeah. So pops, what'd you think about it? Yeah, yeah it was very. It was very good. It was very good. <laughs> yeah, but what did you like about it? Yeah, you know, it was. It was fine. It was good. I liked the movie. It was, yeah, it was, good. It was fine. No, he no. He won't say he liked it. He's, yeah, it was. It was fine. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> He's. You know, I tell. First of all, I mean, he would watch this one because he loves it. But in a pocket, like if I asked my dad to watch anything, oh, it's like pulling teeth. Yeah. Oh, Pops, yep. you need to watch this. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll watch it, yeah. yeah. Three years I later. Think, hey, man, did you watch it? No. I think yeah. my dad went to – he took me to see Home Alone 2, I think, in theaters, and I think it was like 20 years before he ever stepped foot in a movie theater again after that. <laughs> Dude, I think I can count on one hand the number of movies my parents have seen in theaters. Yeah. Like, it's just yeah. – but, but to be fair, and he – you know – in this day and age, especially, like we all have movie theaters in our houses at this point. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Like you're yep. a sound bar and a and a woofer away from like an epic film experience. Yeah. I still I will argue forever. Nothing like watching it in a crowd. Is yeah. It, the the reactions just fuel the emotions. Yeah, and just that ability to completely unplug. I think that's what I miss the most so far is like, that's something to be said about how relaxing it is now in those nice comfy chairs and can't look at your phone and you can, you know, you got no choice, but to fully buy in. Yeah. That's a fact. Absolutely. Oh God. I miss the movie theater. That's the first thing I'm going to do when all this is over. Yeah. I want to see a movie. Yeah. In the theater. Yep. (laughs) I mean, I watch movies (laughs) in the theater. Um, Okay, so that's my that's my disclaimer. I this movie is everything, Uh, Mm -hmm. but we're gonna we're gonna do our best. I'm gonna do my best to break this down. uh, Yeah, as critically as I can be. But luckily, that's why Tim's here. Yep, and I think we, we've we've sort of like we said done the, we've done this before. So I, uh, you know, I have a couple of things that uh, I'll set up some observations that I've made, and um, we'll see. You know, if if Frank can kind of convince us uh, that I'm, you know, not necessarily wrong. It's just questions. I have questions. Right, right. You you have seen this as like a logically thinking person. Uh, not ruled by their emotions about this movie. Whereas <laughs> I am like, this movie is all things. You're a monster. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, 
So again, we're watching the movie Tombstone this week. Where can you see it? Amazon Prime Video. It is currently included. This never happens. Uh, this movie is rarely available to stream, so absolutely catch it while you can. For some reason, like, I don't know. There's just so much Disney content that's being made available elsewhere, like for to purchase cheaply and all this kind of stuff. Um, and this film was distributed by Buena Vista, so it's technically, you know, loosely a Disney production. Yeah, this falls into that kind of weird category when people are like, well, if Disney owns The Simpsons now, it's going to be on Disney+. And it's like, yeah, uh, it is. And some of this Buena Vista stuff, they're going to, you know, they either haven't gotten the rights back to put it on Disney+, Plus, or something like this. Are you really going to put it on Disney+. Oh, this will never be on Disney+. But it would would totally be on Hulu. I'm surprised to not find it there. But instead, to find it on Amazon Prime is odd. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tombstone, word of warning, uh, we're going to talk spoilers, but not necessarily directly. We got really lucky because this is one of those rare treats that we stumble upon that actually have a really rich backstory of how this movie ended up getting made. So, we're going to get to dive into that quite a bit at the start of the show. And then we'll talk like our normal stuff, right? What works mm-hmm. about the movie? What's our overall opinion? What didn't work? And we'll give you like our final thoughts. And this movie is theoretically based on a true story, right? Wyatt yeah. Earp was a real person, Doc Holliday. You know, the characters in this movie are based on real people. Not based on, they are real people. It's, it's a biographical depiction, right? Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about some of the info that we were able to find in terms of, well, how accurate is it? So we can tap mm-hmm. into some of the stuff that we did last October with the fact first fiction sort of thing. Yeah. And then we'll bring it all home and, and wrap it up. So uh, in the course of doing these things and in discussing some of that background and all that stuff, we will inadvertently, I'm sure, have to mention certain parts of the film and certain whatever. So mm-hmm. as always, a word of warning, we try our best not to do spoilers uh, sometimes they happen incidentally. So if you have not seen the movie and you abhor spoilers, <laughs> hit pause, go watch this movie, and come back and check out the episode. Uh, if you're one of those crazies who, who, who don't care about spoilers, then kick back, relax, or you've done your homework and you've seen the movie. Uh, kick back, relax, check out this episode, and hopefully we'll get to uh, shed some light that you wouldn't have otherwise known. I mean, honestly, if you don't know the names Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp, and OK Corral, then you have not seen any pop culture ever in the history of pop culture. Like, I think everything has referenced some part of that. I'm thinking Muppet Babies when we were a kid. I'm thinking, you know, whatever cartoon, whatever westernly adjacent thing, like, you know, (laughs) the OK Corral. Like, I think it's just a term in life. It's like a shootout at the OK Corral. Like, I've seen, I'm sure I've seen that in police reports in the news. So, come on. I'll never forget seeing this movie. And and they're going to the OK Corral and being like, oh, yeah, it's a real right. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I um, think I've even seen uh, Ghost Hunters, uh, in Ghost Hunter episodes in Tombstone where they've got like set up cameras and voice recording in the OK Corral. And they're like, hey, Wyatt Earp, you want to talk to us? You know. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, no, you idiot. Go about your business. Um <laughs> Okay, so Tombstone, we talked about where to watch it. Uh, It was released June 28th, 2017. That's incorrect. (laughs) It was released released on Christmas Day, 1993. 
That's what I get from missing the one part of the template. (laughs) When you sent it earlier, I was like, oh, Frank's really on it. So I started just like, well, can I put some stuff in here? And I was like, well, that's the baby driver synopsis. Okay, that's fine. And I keep writing. I'm like, the use of music in the movie. I was like, I don't really remember music being a part of shit. Do I really need to rewatch this again? Because apparently I missed something. And I was like, oh, wait, never mind. (laughs) It's in progress. Yeah, I had sent it to you earlier than I normally do. And in my process, in the hopes that you would see I was doing it. Um, There it is. There it is. Um, Okay, so released Christmas Day, 1993. Uh, This was a a critical success. Uh, Like, uh, you know, so it was 74% Rotten Tomatoes uh, from critics, 94% from audiences. Mm -hmm. Again, I certainly align myself with the 94%. IMDb, <laughs> IMDb gives it a 7.8 with, you know, this one's one of the longer ones, two, about two hours and 15 minutes. That surprises me. Yeah, it um, does not feel it. No. Nope, 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 nope. Um, uh, this movie was made on a budget of $25 million, and the worldwide gross on this was $56.5 million, which is great. Right, yeah. it doubled its budget. Now we've talked in the past that our sort of formula for this is you double the budget, and mm-hmm. that gives you your, you know, you can you're certain to clear promotions and distribution and all that kind of stuff. Yep. We will talk about why this is misleading, and that this doubling of the budget is actually a huge financial success for this movie. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about the background stuff. Yep. The movie, who again. A little teaser for what's to come. <laughs> directed at different points in time by three different people to yeah. varying degrees. Uh, Kevin Jarre, I'm going to say Jarre. I I don't know. I think it's Jarre. Uh, Kevin Jarre was a the original is the writer of the movie and was initially tied to it as the director and yeah. actually served as the director for the first month or so of production, and then okay. was fired. Uh, the film is credited. Right to George Cosmatos. George Cosmatos, uh, he directed films like The Beloved. He did Rambo: First Blood Part Two, mm-hmm. and the film Cobra. Worked a lot with Sly, right? Okay. Um, but what we have come to find out is something a little bit different, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. Uh, as I mentioned, the movie was written by Kevin Jarre, who also wrote Rambo: First Blood Part Two. Went mm-hmm. on to write Glory. Yeah. Obviously, Tombstone. And then did The Mummy, uh, starring Mm. Brendan Fraser. One of the scariest movies I've ever seen in the movie theater. At the time. At the time. Okay, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was. Actually, that movie was mad creepy. Um, In terms of cast, we'll kind of bring them up as they come, because this movie is stacked. Everyone is in this. Uh, Just as a taste, Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Sam Elliott, Bill Paxton, Powers Booth, Michael Bain, Charlton Heston, Jason Priestley, Stephen Lang, uh, Dana Delaney, Thomas Hayden Church, Michael Rooker, Billy Bob Thornton, and the list goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Like This is one of those movies where every time you're looking on screen, you're noticing somebody else that you know. Yeah, I had a hard time because I was like between the the screen of my TV and the screen of my phone in IMDb because uh, either everyone felt familiar or I knew who they were um, from from other stuff. You know, you and I had talked previously, um, you know, 
a lot of these guys are you know from other westerns a bunch of these guys went on to um, have pretty decent sized roles or recognizable roles in gettysburg which is one of my favorite movies of all Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. so i recognize them because i've seen that movie hundreds of times um you know, so it's just, it really is, it's a veritable who's who, and that doesn't stop. I mean, that opens that way and it ends that way, just the entirety of the movie. No, absolutely, absolutely true. Um, synopsis. Uh, this is the IMDb synopsis, which, <laughs> how the synopsis is it? The story of Wyatt Earp and the shootout at the OK Corral and his ride of vengeance that follows, right? Like, you know, so this is what it says. A successful lawman's plans to retire anonymously in Tombstone, Arizona, are disrupted by the kind of outlaws he was famous for eliminating. Also known as the Wyatt Earp story. <laughs> right, yeah, the story of Wyatt Earp. Boom. Um, okay. Someone's getting paid by the word there to write those at IMDb. <laughs> it's so true. I know. If we want to get real nitpicky, too, it was not in Arizona because Arizona was not a state. It was the Arizona ah. Territory. Suck on that. <laughs> Look at the big brains on bread. <laughs> um, all right. So that's that's uh, that's up. That's it for the, you know, the, the yep. specs, the stats, the, uh, the identifiers, if you will. Uh, <laughs> let's jump into... The meat and potatoes of this week's episode, starting with history, fun facts, trivia. And this is where I really want to dive into how this movie ended up coming to be because the story behind Tombstone, and I don't mean historical story, I mean the story behind the production of this film is absolutely amazing to me. This is one of those stories that like, this is why I love movies because when the impossible happens, you get stuff like this. It really makes me uh, want to do a movies that made us kind of episode on this. I feel mm. like, you know, this is ripe for that. I would love to see because um, those are all fascinating. And I feel like everything that that you told me earlier is is ripe for the picking for that sort of format. So um, I think we've got some good stuff in here. Awesome. All right. So let's dive in. This movie should have been a complete and utter failure. It should have been doomed from the start if it ever came out at all. And uh, But every bit of bad news that struck this movie, every, every plague, every, everything <laughs> that could have gone wrong, did. Uh, yeah. And instead of upending it, it actually ended up leading this movie to become something even better than it would have been without it. And and that is something that never happens, yeah. right? That's yeah. like getting the phone call from your mechanic saying, hey, man, call us back. We need to talk about something we found. And then <laughs> finding out that what they found is that the engine is actually made of solid gold with gold bouillon stashed in the door panels. And instead of oil and gas, the car runs on liquefied gold. <laughs> Right? Like, this never, ever happens. Yeah. And it began, uh, this project as a whole began as Kevin Costner and Kevin Jarre uh, tied to it from the start. Jarre wrote it, Mm -hmm. was tied on as the director, as we mentioned, and Kevin Costner was actually in to star as Wyatt Earp. Um, However, the two could not agree, and he was also the producer, right? 
Yeah. And so uh, that's what gave him a lot of say in 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 the direction of the film. And the two could not agree on what the story's focus should be. Costner wanted to focus on Earp's early life and his rise to becoming the famous lawman that he was with a really strong focus on the person, the man, his family, uh, the tragedies, mm-hmm. things like that, right? A, a much more dramatic biopic, right? Yeah. Jare wanted an action-packed Western with an ensemble cast that included the famous shootout at the OK Corral. That was his focus. Like, I want this to be a big blockbuster thing. Uh, sure. Costner said, no thanks, good luck to you, left the project to produce his own vision, which was the film that would become Wyatt Earp, right? Mm-hmm. Which came out six months after Tombstone. And he left Jare holding the reins to essentially nothing. And on his way out the door, he phoned in every favor he had built up as this powerhouse A-lister, right? This is this is all coming on the heels of Oscar wins for yeah. Dances with Wolves. And this is before atrocities like The Postman and Waterworld. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, this is this is him at his peak. Yeah. And uh, so he calls in everything to make sure that Tombstone could not ever be made by blocking all avenues to distribution and production for the film, except for Disney. Probably because he figured that Disney would never distribute an R-rated Western. The same Uh, reason it won't ever end up on Disney+. Plus. (laughs) Exactly. Which is how Tombstone actually ends up being distributed by Buena Vista, the distribution arm of Disney. Um, So... Two quick things. So Buena Vista, if you uh, ever want to know like where how that's Disney related, Disney World is like most of the resorts actually sit on Lake Buena Vista, and that's mm-hmm. where they are in Buena Vista, Florida. So I thought that was kind of cool the first time I found that out. I was like, oh, there's Lake Buena Vista. So that's actually where Disney World is located proper um, and a lake, a body of water that the, that the property sits on. Um, second of all, what is Costner's problem? Because you, know, you and I have talked before. This is not the... F- first or this might be the first but this is not the only time he's done something like this he did it with the robin hood stuff too right yes. something similar yep, I yep. Mean, dude just let people make movies <laughs> and he comes out on the worst end both times i think in those cases yeah, like and you would think the man learns like yeah, right just just do what you do yeah just act i mean I <laughs> and you barely do that right i mean i learned pretty early on as a kid i had this notion in my head when i was little i was like well if there's one song called party in the USA or whatever, there can't be another song called party in the USA because that song already exists. Oh no, 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 no. There can be two. <laughs> They're completely different songs. Yeah, man, this but, isn't Highlander. <laughs> right. Come on, Kevin Costner. There, there could be more than one movie about a famous person who's a very complex person. Get it yep. together. Absolutely. <laughs> so at this point, Costner's out. Jare is left with this, you know, thing that apparently he can do nothing with yeah. and Costner has has left to go produce Wyatt Earp his vision seemingly thinking good luck to you guys I'm yeah I'm gonna be the one that everyone comes to see like so without that, me you've got nothing right so if not a you know a, a, a harbinger of, of of fortune I guess Kurt Russell literally he, he gets the script and he wants in so he saves the day in the movie and in terms of getting the movie to be existing like he is a hero he's a a real life hero he brought us tombstone he did it 
Um, so, you know, they know full well that Disney and, you know, under the, the, the Buena Vista banner is uh, the only way they're going to get it made. But Disney's not offering them any money. Uh, they, they said fine, but they're not offering them any money to, to produce this. So Kurt Russell goes to his brother-in-law to see, you know, for a second opinion on whether or not they, this movie could be made for $25 million. His brother-in-law gives him the green light and says, yeah, I think, you know, I think you could do this um, if you get that money. And Kurt Russell goes out on his own and he finds the financing for this movie. He gets out there, he hits the bricks, and he finds somebody willing to put up all that cash. Um, this is really, I mean, this is really impressive. Um, you know, when you factor in that the common knowledge that Costner is now producing a competing film at the same time, you know, think Armageddon and Deep Impact, right? Right. Um, <laughs> and the Tombstone team is basically, they're, they're trying to make a movie with one and a half hands tied behind their back. Because, I mean, they've, they're, they're pretty backed into a corner at this point, right? Right. And who's going to back this movie when the big name has left on to go do something else? Yeah. That is not just something else. It's a competing film. Yeah. Yep. So... The film next starts to run into even more casting issues. So Jare and the team had cast Willem Dafoe as Doc Holliday, and they were dead set on using him. But due to his starring in the film The Last Temptation of Christ, Disney flat out said they would never release the movie as long as Dafoe was tied to it. So then you put a, should have put up the money, Disney. Should have put up the money, <laughs> and then you could have some say in things. Oh, Jeez. Disney gets say in whatever they yeah, want, <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> which is how they now own the world. Right. Um, so Defoe is out, and enter Val Kilmer. So mm. another example. So we so Costner's out. You bring in Kurt Russell, and he becomes iconic in the role of Wyatt Earp. You kick out Defoe. It might have been awesome. I personally can't picture it because Val Kilmer comes in and freaking slays it. He slays it as Doc Holliday. So now Val Kilmer's in, but we're not done just yet. Because next, notes come down from the money saying that there's talk about dropping Kilmer and moving Kurt Russell to play Doc and Mm -hmm. bringing in Richard Gere to play Wyatt Earp. And mm-hmm. all of this is happening two weeks away from the start of principal photography. And apparently yep. there was a lot of pressure for this to happen. But thankfully, Kurt Russell stood his ground and he just really leaned on the fact that like, look, man, we are slated to start principal in two weeks. Uh, let's just let's just make the movie that we're here to make and see what happens and somehow magically ends up winning. And dodges that bullet of Richard Gere playing Wyatt Earp. That's uh, that's a big bullet to dodge. Um, I just, mm, yeah. I, but unfortunately, it's not really the end of our story here. We're, we kind of got some more adversity, right, as, as things follow. <laughs> um, Jari gets f- fired. Um, they, fire, they fire him one month into production. And according to Sam Elliott, um, he, when he gave an interview that he really he gave Jari a lot of credit and said he was an amazing writer and a great guy. But it was clear from minute one that he could not direct. I mean, <laughs> you, uh, I, I mean, can I can actually hear Sam Elliott saying it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, and if you know any sort of Westerns, even just movies in general, I mean, Sam Elliott's not 
a hack, right? He's he's right. been around the block. So I feel like there's a really good compliment in there, but at the same time, this man knows his stuff. So, <laughs> and I'm really not sure he's someone I want to mess with. Um, so again, you know, <laughs> we dodged the other bullets, but this is enough to kill any movie too, right? You're pulling the director, who is also the writer, who is really the creative conceptual genius behind all this. Um, but Kurt Russell, again, gets on that white horse and he rides to save the day. Um, and he, he pulls it out of his hat um, for years after the film's release. <laughs> Sorry. Do you see like the news breaking and Kurt Russell comes out of his trailer to the theme song? Like I need a hero. Like, that's all I hear right now in my head. <laughs> Done. Dun, dun, dun. I've got this, guys. But yeah, for, for years after the film's release in 93, it was always sort of rumored that Kurt, uh, Kurt Russell um, had directed Tombstone and not, you know, the title um, card that went to uh, George Cosmatos. Um, now, you may be asking who even is George Cosmatos. Um, and you've been because we've been talking this whole time about Jari being the director, and we mentioned Cosmatos at the top and said we'd come back to it. Um, Well, apparently, after the news that Jari was out, Russell called up Sylvester Stallone, um, and he asked if he knew anyone who'd be willing to ghost direct. So essentially not giving Kurt Russell the title of director, um, Mm -hmm. really not letting anybody else on set know officially that he was the director, um, but somebody that would come in and just kind of be the director in name only not actually in duty so because the studio they they wanted russell at the helm after firing jari but he didn't really want his official name i mean he's got the biggest reputation to lose right absolutely you know if this does go to hell in a handbasket then he's you know he's on the hook for it right he'd pull a costner (laughs) and be on the hook well, and can uh, you blame him, right? Like, you no. know, at this point, you're all just hoping to get out of this thing alive, yeah. right? You've 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 been playing casting carousel for up up until two weeks before principal. Right. Now right. a month in, you fire the director. This whole thing is a mess. And if it doesn't work, no one wants to be tied to the production team right. because exactly that. You know, he doesn't want to go down with the sinking Honestly, ship. Honestly, this movie feels like Doc Holliday. Uh, incarnate like his character throughout this movie this is the story of this movie getting produced is the story of doc holiday in this movie what because he's totally badass but secretly dying inside exactly (laughs) like i'm not dead yet like i've not yet begun to defile myself (laughs) so yeah i mean apparently cosmatos made a nice living doing this ghost directing thing because apparently he had the same deal with sylvester stallone on rambo 2 and the deal with russell was that uh russell promised to or kurt russell promised to never uh, say a word about it while Cosmatos was alive. So I think one of the first times he officially came out and said it was true was in an interview in 2006, and Cosmatos had died in 2005. Well, at least um, he waited a couple months, <laughs> right? Uh, so, but it was it was in fact, and and Val Kilmer had been saying it for years. Sam Elliott had confirmed it that Russell was the one calling the shots, not Cosmatos. And additionally, no one on set was supposed to know about this arrangement either. So each night, Kurt Russell would take his shot list to Cosmatos for the next day. 
And they even went so far as to have some invented hand signals and sign language so that Russell could communicate what he wanted to Cosmatos on set during shoots. And and he made it very clear. He would apparently deliver this, the, the shot list and be like, I'm not taking questions. This is what we're doing. And that would be the end of it. And, and Cosmatos was was with it. I mean, the dude got a credit. To this day, Kurt Russell on IMDb or anywhere is not officially credited as the director of this movie. And you know what Stallone got out of this? He got his brother a cameo appearance. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's going to get his. Slash <laughs> Stallone does nothing for free. I have one contingency. Have you, you met put- Frank? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, baby brother. (laughs) Oh, good God. So now we've made it. The movie's been made. The film is finally released on Christmas Day in 1993, and it is gangbusters. Um, This is a huge success, even, um, you know, with some mild critic reviews. uh, But word of mouth is that the movie is, in Frank's words, the tits. Um, (laughs) This movie is the tits. (laughs) Uh, it doubles its budget in no time at all, um, even with zero promotion. Uh, all of the stuff that we did, no real studio backing, um, months, uh, if not years of battling, you know, what could go wrong will go wrong. And honestly, releasing this in the Christmas season, Christmas Day, you know, it's sort of blockbusters. But I mean, it's not necessarily a family blockbuster that you would release on Christmas Day. So it's a lot of, you know, a lot of ballsy gambling going on here, literally and figuratively. But it's also really smart because, yeah. so number one, the movie releases Christmas Day, which, yeah, maybe not a family film, but also notoriously the season in films where we're, it's, we're kind of at like the, right, it's all family mm-hmm. stuff or mm-hmm. it's just like nothingness, right? Yeah. It's the last final dramatic pushes before Oscar season, that kind of stuff. So for a big ticket, big name, like shoot 'em up action Western to drop, that's going to draw a decent crowd. Whereas yeah. I feel like Wyatt Earp six months later actually goes up against some big name movies, which mm. ends up sort of hurting it. Um sure. But also, that speaks a lot to what we had said at the top, right? The doubling of the budget, maybe at initial glance, doesn't seem that impressive. Yeah. But considering that you're not spending money on promotion, that money is profit much yeah. sooner, right? Like, you you break even significantly sooner than you would on a traditional production. Sure. Sure. So really to round all of this out, you know, we keep, we keep harping on Coster and Wyatt Earp and, you know, I've made the, the, the comparison, you know, before, is it Armageddon? Is it, is it uh, deep impact? Right. Dante's um, peak and volcano. Right? <laughs> exactly. So you, this falls, you know, squarely into that territory. Um, Wyatt Earp is released six months later. So six months after Christmas of 93 um, and hoping that the actually, you know, to ride the buzz, uh, you know, ride tombstones, co- uh, coattails, um, and uh, everyone remembering that this is the real movie since, you know, Costner had this idea first and he was, you know, part of the original team to make it. Uh, but no, I mean, this was railed by critics and audiences alike. And it made 20 film, 25 million on its budget of 63 million. So abject failure. Absolutely. Uh, and that movie is awful. And it's got big names too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like over three hours um, you know, it's Randy Quaid plays Doc Holiday. <laughs> what? 
Uh, but Gene Hackman's in it. It's got the other Bill that you always confuse Bill Paxton for. It's uh-huh. Bill Pullman. He's yeah. in it. So, but it also, it just generally, with the exception of Gene Hackman, who I think is brilliant, it, it's it's kind of like the B squad. It's yeah. like anyone they passed on for Tombstone gets a nod over here on Costner's project, and it's <laughs> dude, it's awful. It is not good, and Costner is awful in it. Which is, I, I'm a I'm a Kevin Costner fan, you know, sometimes, <laughs> and this is <laughs> but this is one of those that is just no bueno. Yeah. Uh... All right, so that is the backstory of how this movie should never have happened and how everything worked against it from the start. And yet, the movie is dropped on Christmas Day, and to this day, we all have the great pleasure and privilege to drink it in with our eye holes. And so with that, let's talk about the movie itself and our thoughts overall. You know mine, Tim what were your overall thoughts about Tombstone being your first watch? Yeah. So overall, um, it, it, I've been, I was excited for it. Right. Um, I definitely have a soft spot. I was telling you earlier for Westerns and mm. movies of this, I, you know, I never went down a huge Western hole, but I've watched some big John Wayne movies growing up. I really like Big Jake. I had that on VHS. I loved Gettysburg. Gettysburg is one of my favorite movies, you know, more of Civil War, but still, you know, that's kind of peace, you know, era. Um, War out my copy of Davy Crockett and King of the Wild Frontier, the Disney movie from, you know, the show from the 50s. So, like, this is right up my alley. I love movies like this. I could have seen myself running around the backyard acting out scenes from this movie after seeing it. Um, and I loved Red Dead Redemption is my favorite video game of all time. So this just felt right to me. This felt like some comfort food, right? This all felt really, really homely and warm and like, yeah, this is, this is definitely something I like. And it's a lot of fun, but I, I, you know, I have some questions. I'm not sure it's without its, its problems. I was expecting maybe something a little bit more just cinematically stellar Uh, interesting yeah there's there's questions i have that maybe they're wrong maybe they're unfounded um but overall enjoyable like i said two hours and 15 minutes did not feel like two hours and 15 minutes and i think a lot of my concerns can be allayed by the style right Mm. i think back to spaghetti westerns and things like that and I feel like you can almost chop this movie up into pieces and we'll get to that a little bit later. And, and I'll kind of explain a little bit more what I mean, but definitely a movie I want to watch again and definitely a movie that is completely worth its time. Um, I've taken some other chances in the last couple of days and not come out strong with some new stuff that is floating around the internet. Um, looking at you prom and, uh, and, uh, yes day, uh, looking at you too. Uh, oh, my son <laughs> wants to watch that. Don't. I, I think he's got uh, some ideas. Um, <laughs> uh, so coming to a movie like this with a cast like this, I mean, you really, at the end of the day, even if you feel lukewarm about it, and I'm not saying that's how I feel. I want to reserve that to the end. You're not going to go wrong watching this movie. This is not mm. two hours that you're going to regret at all. For me, I mean, I've already said what this movie means to me, how I came to it. This is one of those movies that is so quotable. You mm-hmm. talked about, in, you know, reenacting the scenes and that kind of stuff. 
it is the dialogue. Uh, mm-hmm. for, to his credit, right, and we focused a lot about the failures of Kevin Jarre and as a director, but as a writer, this script attracted a lot of people. This movie yeah. should have been dead in the water, but it was the words on the page that really continued to sell people and say, there's something here. There's mm-hmm. a reason why all these names are attracted to it. Now, I do agree with you, you know... um, visually right production value of this movie perhaps a little bit lacking i think there were some risks taken to try to make it feel very western Mm -hmm. um and but also still like a modern action movie it feels in line with the type of stuff that was coming out in the early 90s yeah um you know seeing i can't imagine seeing it for the first time now because some of that stuff maybe doesn't hold up and i think too if we're keeping in mind shot lists things like that that were written by a first time at bat actor as Uh a director in kurt russell you know i think even he has gone on the record and been like you know not you know certainly not the best like yeah you know there were certain shots that i think were absolutely stellar um but you know i i think about scenes like uh like when powers booth as uh curly bill brocious where he Uh um he comes out of the opium den yeah. And and like that camera is just swinging around him and and panning up into the sky. like that's a gorgeous shot. Yeah. And but then it's just a series of montages and it, there's a lot of sort of cheap elements to the movie that I think maybe detract from it cinematically. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely fair. Um at the same time I can kind of explain that away with the idea in my head that if this was too overly polished and overly cinematic, it wouldn't look right. It right? wouldn't look gritty, dirty, like a Western yeah. is supposed to look. Correct. Absolutely. You're, you're going to end up with something like, I don't know, uh, Django Unchained, right? Like that was a very pretty movie. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, um, you know, Will Smith's Wild Wild West, right? Stop <laughs> like, it. Stop it now. You know? Yep. So, nope, we're um, good. You know, they're just it, it it fits like, you know, it's a little bit more of a rustic feel, which goes with the idea that this is an up and coming boom town that is going to be a ghost town. Right. I, I got a good chuckle out of the lines early on when when the Earp brothers first arrive and they're like, oh, you know, we got to if we want this town to succeed, like we got to make something of it. And it's we just I mean, know it's going to succeed. There's you know, I can smell the silver in this town. It's going to be something. It's going to be the next San Francisco, I think, is mentioned at one point. And, you know, as a viewer with, a you know, some sort of West, you know, a little bit knowledge of old West, you're like, nah. It's not. That was yeah, Behan. My favorite is Behan is uh he's like, We'll be bigger than San Francisco in a few years. And you know, we're so you know, we got the latest trends from Paris and blah yeah. blah blah. Like yep. more yep. than just your mining town. <laughs> and then there's there's a shootout in the streets and someone drops dead, Doc Holiday just turns and goes, Mm, very cosmopolitan. <laughs> I uh dude, and this is again, man, this is one of those like I could sit here and quote lines all day. And I feel like this is a great transition into the question what worked? Because yeah. number 1 front and center foremost is Val Kilmer as Doc Holiday. This is Val Kilmer's greatest movie. This is his greatest role. He is perfection in this movie. And when you watch Tombstone the second time, the third time, the 28th time, and the 109th time, you aren't watching it for 
Kurt Russell. You're not watching mm-hmm. it for Sam Elliott. You're not watching it for Dana Delaney. You're not watching it for anybody except Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday. Yeah. So uh, that was one of the questions. You know, we'll we'll kind of maybe touch on these a little bit as they come up, and if not, I'll, you know, I'll summarize them um, at the end. Again, I want to throw these things out there. Uh, you know, as this idea of, you know, Frank loves this movie, he's in, he's in a, a, a love, love relationship with it. And I have fresh love eyes, uh, you know, kind of a devil's advocate thing and not necessarily going to be indicative of my final thoughts. So um, you know, I'll reserve that for the end. But if we come across these, I want to throw them in rather than kind of coming back to them at the end. Yeah, I so, like that. That was one of the things that caught me off guard at first. Hmm. But by the end of the movie, I loved, loved, loved that character. What caught you off guard? So I will be honest and say I've never done any research. You know, I'm not too familiar with the the, the historical accurate figures, right? You know, if you were to say, you know, sure. Wikipedia and like, you know, Doc Holliday was XYZ. You know, I'm just thinking what I know from pop culture, you know, let's let's say, um, you know, I'm, I'm inferring context clues, right? Mm-hmm. Not the type of Wild West gun-toting cowboy that I would have expected, right? So I'm like, why is he paying him kind of, you know, a feminine Southern gentleman style? And he doesn't seem like this rough and tumble, like Sam Elliott that I'm expecting, right? right? By the end, I loved him and I didn't want him to not be on screen and I wanted more of him and I was like he's dying he's actively dying in front of us i don't want this to happen because throughout the entire movie he really feels like a good guy who's just got some bad vices you know at one point they ask they ask him why are you helping wyatt earp he's like he's a good friend like oh my god that that line i swear to god and if my dad is listening to this i'll never hear the end of it that scene almost makes me cry every time i see it because yeah. you watch, yes, you watch Doc Holliday kind of, you know, living this life and stuff. But he is, he is in his core a good, he's arguably maybe one of the best people that we're watching. Yeah. And he's such a good person. And everything he does is in the service of the people he cares for. Right. And, and and in that scene you're talking about is when, um, it's the, it's the scene where uh, Wyatt, storms out into the river to kill curly bill and uh you know and in the end they're like doc why are you out here because doc is just hacking so doc holiday in real life and in the movie has tuberculosis Mm -hmm. and so he actually moves to tombstone he moves into the west trying to get the dry climate to see if that will help him with his condition and prolong his life and Mm -hmm. so he goes on this raid with wyatt earp because he is this killer gunslinger right and uh but the whole time, it's really hard on him. Travel yeah. and all this stuff. So in the scene, he's just hacking up a lung. Blood's constantly coming out of his mouth. And yep. so one of the other guys in the in the crew turns to him and is like, Doc, why are you out here? You should be in bed. And he says, Wyatt Earp is my friend. And they're yeah. like, hell, I got lots of friends. And he just <laughs> looks at him and he says, I don't. Yeah. And, and, and you believe it. Like, yep. Wyatt might be his only friend friend and there is nothing he won't do for him and and it's moments like that that's the writing that's the heart of this movie and and i know i cut you off and i apologize but also historically right 
I agree with you. Doc Holliday serves as the counterpunch to a lot of characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. He brings the refinement that uh, that Behan, people like Behan, uh, the sheriff of Tombstone, are faking it, right? Yeah. And, and he's really just a gross scoundrel and yep. nothing more. Whereas Doc is this truly complex character. He's the counterpunch to Wyatt Earp, who, you know, and Virgil and Morgan, who are lawmen, right? He, as good as Doc is, he's also kind of a piece of crap. Like, you know, and and he's got these vices. He's, you know, in one of the opening scenes, we see him playing a poker game. And seemingly, as he walks out with his winnings from the table, also takes the cash sitting on like a roulette table. And is just like, well... We're out of here, you know, and he throws right. the money in it. So he robs people, right? He's not great. But the true gunslinger that you would anticipate or expect is Johnny Ringo, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is the bad guy, right? He's yeah. in the cowboy gang. And mm-hmm. and he's that dirty, rough and tumble, nasty gunslinger with the reputation. Like, he's kind of what you expect. Yeah. But more than all of this, as a literary thing or as a character thing, it's actually true to form for who Doc Holliday was in real life. That's super fascinating to me. When you told me that, I was like, okay, that makes more sense. But it also, it goes back to your point, right, about making Westerns accessible to a wider audience. Because when I, you know, settled into it and you got comfortable, there's not a lot of, you know, Western drawl in this, right? There's not the mm. howdy partner like caricature of a John Wayne film, right? Sam Elliott's probably the closest to a caricature of a cowboy and you just you you let it go cuz he's Sam Elliott and that's just who he is, right? Like yeah. he is that. Like there's there is no separation between that. That's not a character, that is him. Nope, that is the um, man. <laughs> but the rest of it, you know, there there isn't it it feels a little bit more of an accurate you know, I, I, you you can get roasted for for say, accurate depiction of of a western town, but you know the idea that all cowboys wore ten gallon hats and chaps and things, right? Like they were just people that came east, right? We don't all sit around. It's not like you moved to Arizona and suddenly you're like, I already partner. Like they came from the east, right, to settle new town. Even White mm-hmm. Earp is making his way across the country, right? Mm-hmm. He started out somewhere else and he's a transplant, so. You know, it feels a little bit more authentic to that, like a melting pot idea. And it's you're not just dropping into this town where everybody, you know, is, you know, taking whiskey shots at the saloon, you know, getting their sarsaparilla on. Right. But, and as Doc Holliday just happens to be a super fast draw, he yeah. he was a southern gentleman. He comes from yeah. a well-off family in Georgia. Uh, his cousin or relative wrote Gone with the Wind, right? Mm-hmm. Like he comes from a well-known, well-to-do family. I, I believe he was a dentist for a, yeah. for a time being, um, you know, and has come west because of his condition and has adapted, you know, to, to suit, right? He's yeah. he's terminal. So he's living life to the fullest and so on. So, but all of this, right? This is his, Val Kilmer's portrayal of this character is unlike anything you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And and it sits with you and it stays with you. And it is, it is worth tenfold the price of admission. And it will bring you back every time because his one-liners, the scenes he's in are so powerful. They're so funny. He's hysterically funny in that scene yep. I was talking about when they're playing poker and he's like, he, you know, he keeps winning. He's constantly lucky. He's ever lucky. 
yeah. and and uh, you know the guy he's playing with is <laughs> is pissed off because he swears he's cheating. You know, and, and there's just moments in this moment where, you know, Wyatt or, or uh, Doc Holliday point taps his gun with his finger and he's like, why are we cross? <laughs> and I mean, he doesn't even have to be a good gunslinger, right? The reputation. He, he, he could, like, for all intents and purposes, he might not even be, right? Because he doesn't have to be. He can talk his way out of 90% of the situations. I mean, you see it kind of... Um, in the confrontation with with Johnny Ringo, right? Johnny pulls out his gun mm. and he does all the finger tricks and he's spinning it and he you know holsters it and you know you're expecting this rebuttal like ooh what's the great Doc Holiday gonna do? And he just picks up his little drinking cup, little tin cup, and does all you know, the <laughs> the same routine with his little drinking cup and holsters his drinking cup. I mean, and and everybody's like ooh you know like stomp the yard kind of stuff going on there. He doesn't even have to take out his guns because. He's got this reputation, and he never really has to prove it. But when he does, he backs it up, right? Well, and there's a great scene. So Billy Bob Thornton plays a, a little cameo bit as this guy yeah. named Johnny Tyler, who Wyatt Earp slaps around to take yep. his Pharaoh game from him. And uh, and so then you see Earp in the street with his brothers, and Johnny Tyler's coming up behind him with a shotgun to kill him. Doc Holliday just walks up and calls him out, and he's like, why, Johnny Tyler, mad cat. Where are you going with that shotgun, right? And it yep. stops him dead in his tracks. So when he sees Doc, uh, hold and pump the brakes, please. And yep. then when he finds out it's Wyatt Earp, <laughs> the best, and again, where the comedy comes in, then Doc and Virgil and Morgan and Wyatt are all having a conversation for like 10 minutes. And the whole time, Billy Bob's in the background. And then Val Kilmer stops the scene, turns to Billy Bob, and he goes, Oh, I'm sorry, Johnny. I forgot you were there. You may go now. <laughs> and it's like, it kills and leave me. leave the shotgun. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. And his, his, it's just, he is fantastic. So in yeah. terms of what works, it's Val Kilmer top to bottom. The last thing I wanted to point out, and you touched on it briefly, is the fact that this movie made Westerns accessible to mm -hmm. the wider audience. I said yeah. in the last, at the tail end of our last episode that, tombstone did for westerns what garth brooks did for country music and a lot yeah. of people since then have asked me what i mean by that i understand what you mean and yeah. this is what i mean right before garth country music was bluegrassy and you know hank williams and yep. and the dolly partons and all that kind of stuff where it was really folky and a, a strong cultural thing where garth brooks he brought in slide guitars and electric guitars and everything and and gave it the more poppy sound yes that we're used yes. to now and made country music accessible to a wider audience mm -hmm. um and without losing the heart and soul of this storytelling that is native to country music yep and tombstone does that for the Western genre. Before this, mm -hmm. you've got your Shanes and your Outlaw Josie Wales and your Good, Bad, and the Uglies and Magnificent Seven and these movies that are just these long, gr like brown, just boring yeah. movies, right? Yep. And that your grandpa loves and your dad yeah. maybe loves. And you know right. what I mean? And you'll sit there and you'll suffer through it while your old grandpa watches these old movies and tries to convince you that John Wayne is all that is man. And you're just like, this movie is awful. And yeah. Rooster Crowburn is the worst. Like, right. you know, whatever. <laughs> and so, but suddenly, Tombstone comes out 
and it's a western shore but it's got a bit more gloss than you're necessarily used to seeing and it's covered in people that you recognize right it's not you've got you've got your cameos you've got your harry carey juniors and you've got your uh your your charlton hestons mm-hmm. and you've mm-hmm. got charleston Heston. <laughs> charlton Heston. um so but you've got the people that you would hope to have right yeah. in small bit roles but you've Correct. got tango and cash Kurt Russell, and yes. you've got Top Gun Val Kilmer, and you've got Sam Elliott, and you've got <laughs> you know from Sam Elliott fame, uh, and and you've got uh, Michael Bane from Terminator, yeah. and yeah. and Powers Booth, and Michael Rooker, and people that you've seen in contemporary uh, mainstream movies. Yep. So you come in and you have those people to bring you into the genre that otherwise you already w- you wouldn't give the time of day. Yeah. And, and and so this movie does that and and it's it's a massive turning point that really starts to bring back this genre I think because you know it was it was dead it was dead in the water and I would say it, it does a good job uh doing that without watering it down again yes, as evidence holding if you're the gonna, soul of it yeah if you know I if people that made their life in these types of films picked up the script and said yeah i want to do this cameo if charlton heston's like yeah yeah cool like this sounds like something i could do you know i feel like that you're obviously preserving what interests them as those type of actors right Mm. anytime you get those ensembles where it makes sense to pull somebody you know pull a cast in like that together you're like ah yeah like if john wayne was alive would they have found a part for him in this movie right (laughs) like eh, maybe maybe, probably you know but yes yes you know what i mean so uh, yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. It's absolutely accessible um, to anybody, really. If you if you want to spend the time with, with with this movie, I think for sure. Yeah. So, in terms of what doesn't work as well, and I can you know right as with anything, yeah. I'm not totally blinded by love. Yep. I, uh, I I recognize this movie is not without its faults. I sure. would argue that I easily forgive them all, but <laughs> I would say that the biggest fault for me that I, you know that I notice when I watch this movie is that you know. For as well written as it is, I think it relies a lot, as I mentioned, on sort of cheap, easy wrap-up summaries, lots of mm-hmm. montages and stuff, and and it does fade out in the end, right? And yes. it lacks a solid closure moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we have a couple of mini boss fights, right? You have yep. uh, Wyatt in Tombstone with with the with the whole Earp family, basically, right? Uh, right. They have the shootout at the OK Corral. That's mm-hmm. a massive moment. Then we yes. have the retribution from the Cowboys on the Earps where they kill Morgan and they uh, they cripple uh, Virgil. Mm-hmm. Um, Wyatt Earp. Then ha- you have the moment in the uh, at the train station where yeah. Earp declares his right of vengeance, right? Which you tell him I'm coming and yeah. hell's coming with me, you hear? Yeah. Which apparently uh, Carissa has told me uh, her cheer squad used that quote at the beginning of all of their routines. That's like, oh, intense. That's really cool. She's like, that's where I guess that's where that comes from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from Tombstone. Um, see, she didn't even know. Uh, you know, so so you have that moment. Then you have the uh, the ride starts and they're off killing everybody. And you have the moment with Curly Bill in the river. And then you have the duel with Johnny Ringo. And then it just sort of pitters out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, personally, I think that the Ringo holiday duel should have been the big 
you know, climax moment. You know, yeah. this is a this is a scene in the movie, and we'll talk a little bit more about what's true and what isn't. But yep. this is a scene in the movie that's already been fictionalized, right? This is right. not how Johnny Ringo dies, and in real life. And so, you know, you know, and going into the scene, it's set up perfectly, right? Ringo's waiting for Wyatt Earp, what's supposed to be Wyatt Earp, to come for mm-hmm. a final duel one-on-one to settle the whole affair. Um, instead of Wyatt, Holiday shows up, unbeknownst to Wyatt Earp, yep. and, and kills Johnny Ringo. But before he, while he's waiting, Ringo charges his guys with, once this is over, ride out and kill all of them. Yep. They're all kind of gathered there. So there should have been a moment when Ringo dies and then they ride down and slaughter the rest of the Cowboys or even through exposition. Just give me something that says, you know, like, oh, we chased them down. And even if it's on, you know, Holiday's deathbed, right? Like, yeah. we did it. We chased yep. them all down. They're all dead or locked up or they've quit or whatever. Give me the closure moment that says that this journey we've been on for the last two hours has come to an end. And now we're going to move into the epilogue and you're going to show me what everyone ends up becoming after this epic ride of vengeance. And this movie doesn't give you that. Suddenly you're just now you're watching Doc Holliday dying Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. you're watching Wyatt Earp, you know, find the uh, find the actress Josephine. And Mm -hmm. and you know what I mean? And it's just, well, where's where's everybody else? Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought this up because. Pop culture wise, like I referenced earlier, everybody's familiar. You I mean you should be f- familiar with the OK Corral, right? Right. Again, so going into this, I'm thinking that is the moment, right? That is the culmination of this movie. That's where this mm. ends, right? I'm thinking that's what this is all leading to. And that happens almost exactly halfway through the movie to the point that I stopped it. And I was like, there's more movie after this. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's weird. I figured this was like, this is the end. This is not the end? Okay. And that scene is crazy. Um, not overly Hollywood, which I think works, right? It's oh. not It's not a ridiculous shootout. It's, it's fairly plausible, I think. Um, but, again, that happened at the midpoint of the movie. And that is, it serves as the catalyst for the second act. But it just feels like it set up something bigger, right? Like you're saying, like there's mm-hmm. gonna be a bigger, and then you get to that scene where um, where Wyatt puts down Curly Joe, and Curly even, Bill, the killer Curly Bill, Curly Joe, <laughs> Curly Joe, <laughs> but Curly I Sue. I think Curly Joe is that from uh, Buster Scruggs? Maybe, Curly maybe Joe, something like that. Right? <laughs> um, but he he puts down Curly Bill, and even that felt kind of anticlimactic like oh none of the subsequent climaxes match the height of okay corral you hit a pinnacle halfway through and then you sort of sputter you know like okay corral is you know michael jackson thriller and then and then everything else is just sort of you know you've got some hits yeah but nothing ever matches it yeah And, and so when that big that something big doesn't come it just like you said it feels kind of like it peters out and that's really yeah. how i felt i when you get the the final ish scene where the four of them are riding off and wider kind of waves goodbye and the three other guys go off on their way and he goes off his way and i'm like what what yeah, did they, right. they, they rode clanton out of town essentially let him go he threw down his sash and that's it 
And that forgives everything he did. Well, I mean, but they are marshals. I guess they can't yeah. kill him if he's not a cowboy. But yeah. Right. No, yeah. So it's just kind of like, okay. And then to tack on the prologue after Doc Holliday's death, like, okay, then that feels pretty, like, we, let's end there. But then we have this prologue with the love story. And that just didn't feel like the resolution I wanted in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I, I fully admit that the pacing of the movie really comes to a halt after the shootout at the OK Corral, and it never just quite matches it. You don't get that big triumphant crescendo of a third act resolution. Yeah. You just sort of you just sort of keep watching, and it yeah. it just you know. But it, you're so mesmerized by Doc Holliday that you don't really notice it until he's dead, and luckily right. that's pretty much at the end. Right. So I think that's actually a good transition. So I mentioned before, you know, a couple of the other things that I want to touch on. And I think that's a good transition into one of the things that I just kind of nagged at me was kind of that feeling of being disjointed, right? Mm. Like there, everything happens quick. All of the scenes are important. And I I'd almost go so far as to say there's not a lot of meat. Uh, you know, there's, there, there's, everything is pretty tight and everything ends up feeling not, so interconnected or flowing right like you know they move into town and and wider goes in and he shakes down that uh you know billy bob thornton for his pharaoh game and then boom they're making money and they own a bunch of mines and they're established and then boom you know something happens and sam elliott's now the uh now the the marshal in town and then boom they're fighting at the okay corral and you're like whoa 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 it's and, yeah there's not a great sense of the passage of time yes yeah and we've talked about that with other movies right like um it, it can be overly done it can be not done well it can be confusing and i don't know that it needs it right because then i think you end up with that four-hour costner thing where there's just you know you're gonna <laughs> the costner thing <laughs> you're gonna get you know 20 minutes of of you know virgil going do i become the marshal do i not i saw some stuff maybe i need to go see some more stuff and and so i'm not saying i want more added and i'm almost in some ways it feels correct for this type of western because it almost feels like a comic right or like a pulp fiction where it's like tune in next week and so you don't need to see that, but next week you get that next little, you know, you get 10 pages on what happens in the saloon or you get the 10 pages of what happens in the theater, right? And then when it's mm -hmm. all connected together, you get, you can read it cover to cover with that, you know, understanding that there's a passage in time, but it does feel a little interconnected and the flow is a little choppy. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that completely. And I think that lack of timing and or that passage of time in that sense, it just, it makes it feel even because, because it's, it's so, it feels very segmented by mm -hmm. these little mini climaxes. Yeah. And it's, it, you're right. It's very episodic. And I think ultimately where it's most noticeable then for me is, you know, Wyatt Earp comes to town. He's like, I don't even carry a gun. I don't need a gun. I'm done with that. And almost instantaneously, he's got a gun on him again. And I'm like, what? Fact. Huh? That, you, yep. gave, you gave that up really quick, buddy. Like, so I will say this for it. There's a, and there's a couple of scenes that bother me like that where it doesn't quite make sense. He, he shakes down Johnny Tyler and makes a whole point, right? Johnny Tyler says, you know, you're real brave for a man who don't go heels, right? A man that yeah. doesn't carry a gun. And his whole line is, you don't got to go heels to get the, uh, to get the drop on a 
guy like you and and just slaps a grown man around <laughs> and makes him cry in front of his friends um and then suddenly when virgil is the uh the marshal and he's putting up the sign that guns are outlawed in tombstone well Wyatt Earp comes up he's like wait a minute you're the marshal and then takes his gun off as a sign of like fine right, right? here you go yeah. like, when did you get a gun right. um and so there's a there's a lot of moments like this is another scene that really bothers me, which is when Virgil gets shot and he's laying there getting the bullet dug out and finds out he's going to lose the use of his arm and his mm-hmm. wife is all upset and she starts screaming. She turns to Wyatt Earp and goes, you just had to do it. You just right. had to do it. You know, this is all your fault. And I'm the, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Wyatt is the one person who told you all continuously don't get involved. Right. Don't be lawmen. Just let them do it. Let's just make our money and get out of here. It was your husband who forced them all to do this. It right. was your husband who instigated the cowboys by yep. invoking all these rules and laws. And it's his fault that he's been shot and Morgan's dead. You know what right. I mean? So anyway, so that bothers me. But I feel like that's just a historical thing. Um. I'll say this in defense of the rough cuts, yeah. which is that supposedly uh, Kurt Russell has been on the record saying many times that there is a lot of this movie that got left on the cutting room floor for various reasons, right? There's a month's mm-hmm. worth of footage uh, that I think the only scenes they kept from Kevin Jarre's work was the scenes with Charlton Heston. Apparently he did those first and they kept okay. a lot of that. Um, Everything else got reshot. And 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 Kurt Russell has said there's a lot of scenes. There's a big bonfire scene with the Cowboys. There's a lot of exposition stuff that they took out that he's like, I could make a whole nother movie with this stuff. And I've got it all sitting in my garage. And there's been a lot of talk behind the scenes for decades, right? For the Russell cut. Yes, yes. <laughs> Hashtag release the Russell cut. Um, but there's been a lot of whispers, you know, for decades, do a definitive cut, do a director's cut, do something. Mm-hmm. And he's he's always teased that like he's super down to do it. He's just always so busy. Uh and 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 uh and the studios and everybody has been like fully behind it. Like yeah. you ever want to do it, we will do it. Uh, but it's never come to be. It may never come to be. But that could solve a lot of what you see in the movie where there would be it would make it a longer movie. We'd be pushing yeah, the three right, hours. Right, right. But you would get a lot of that sort of filler stuff. Uh, would it make it better? I don't know. Um, I don't know. But uh, anyways, so yeah. So I think that I think it's a very valid point and, and it seems like there's a legit reason as to why. And I think you kind of mentioned this as well um but as with your confusion in terms of virgil and his wife um i had a little bit of a problem with the women and the love story i the the i felt like obviously production wise i feel like they blew all of their money on all of the male leads and the male cameos and the the female characters you know i've recognized a lot of the actresses but looking up their credits not too much of you know big things going on there and that's not necessarily a problem but i felt like they were set to be more important than they ended up being early on you know when they get off the 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 coach and you know they're kind of there and then 
Wyatt Earp's wife just disappears, and we find out in the little narration episode at the end that she died like a month after the, the like, oh, by the way, she died of a heroin overdose, which yeah. you're not surprised about because she's down in Laudanum or whatever the entire movie. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a couple their seemingly kind of uselessness for me with the weirdness of the love story like those scenes there's a, a scene where where wyatt goes riding with josephine it just kind of seemed odd to me and then to end the movie with him going after her maybe if we're, we're billing this as truly an a you know a lifetime you know a a, a, a life uh, bi- biopic of Wyatt Earp this works but if it's just about the events leading up to and surrounding the OK Corral and his vengeance ride I don't really care about his his infatuation with this um, you know with, with this actress I liked the theater scene I thought it was a lot of fun I liked how that gave you gave you some um, you know some interaction with the cowboys and their crassness and, and things like that but I didn't need the love story. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's the argument of the ages, right? You know, the love yeah. stories, the romantic interest, that kind of stuff, it helps soften the characters. It gives them a humanity. It makes yeah. them relatable. You know, he he does meet his wife, you know, this Josephine lady at mm-hmm. this around this time. So she's she's in the story, she's involved. Um, so you can't really it would be arguably more awkward to omit her. But then, at the same time, we're not here to watch the story of how Wyatt and Josephine fall in love, but we also kind of are, um, yeah. you know, because it, it paints the uh, the rounder picture, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least the picture that Wyatt Earp and everyone wants us to know. Um, and so, you know, it's it's always this is always I so I I always think back to. Um, for my master's thesis, right, mm-hmm. I uh, I was tasked with writing a, an original screenplay, and as as part of it, right, and okay. um, you know I I wrote this outline and I came up with this concept and this idea, uh, and and I left out. I had initially sort of pitched it with a love interest story as a tangential story, and then later on I left it out, and um, my professor was like where'd the love story go? And I was just like, well, it didn't seem important. Like I really want to focus on what's really important in the story, which is this mm-hmm. guy's story and whatever. And, and he was like, no, nah, you, you gotta have the love story. Like you just, you gotta do it. And I was like, well, I don't really want, he's like, no, no, no. You gotta have a love story. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, well, you're, you're right. And, and that's not necessarily always the case. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. but think about it, right. Die hard. There's a story about a man and his wife. Uh, mm-hmm. You pick a Braveheart. You know, he goes on this rage quest because of the murder of his wife. And yeah. and then suddenly starts poning this, you know, princess. And you know right. what I mean? Like, <laughs> this exists in all of them. Uh, yeah. Gladiator. There's this history between uh, Caesar's sister and him. And it, it, the, you can't escape it. Yeah. So I think yeah. at this point, I'm sort of blind to it and numb sure. to it. And it doesn't bother me so much. I will say this. I think I was highly impressed with the depiction of Josephine Marcus because yeah. I felt like for the time, 1993, this is a really empowered and strong female character, right? Yeah. She doesn't need a man because 
of being a woman. She just wants one. And right. she wants him. One of my favorite lines is when Billy Zane, oh, by the way, Billy Zane is in this movie. Yes. Uh, right. Billy Zane is like, there he is, you know, both hunter and prey, eyes closed by the sun. But he's he's describing Wyatt Earp, right, in this right. theatrical way. And she turns to him and goes, mm, I want one, you know? Right. And like, and then, you know, there's another part where he calls her out about like, she's dating Behan. And she's trying, she's like, I'm a woman. I like men. Basically, like, I'm getting down and I'm getting mine. Who cares? So right. I felt like, you know, for the time, this was a really progressive depiction of yeah. women, especially women in the West, right? Yeah. She's not riding in the wagon, being protected by what this woman is out there earning her money, doing her thing. She's a she's a well-known actress. She's yep. a singer. She's just wholly empowered the scene where she's doing the like the boudoir photography and just like she just owns everything and you're like damn you know yeah yep so i i was actually like surprised by that because you know she's just not lois laning her way through this movie she is very much an equal and totally on her terms when she feels slighted she's like forget you the scene where the Earps, I mean, Morgan has just died. They're leaving town. Everyone is like, as they're waiting for them to leave, everyone's staying on their sides. She walks out there and is like, I'm trying to get me a drink. Pops yep. open her little umbrella dealie, her parasol, and strolls across the street in her bright dress and is just like, right. whatever. You know? Right. It's, oh, it's so good. This movie is excellent. It's excellent. All right, we are we are really racking up the minutes. Um, oh, yeah. What else? Did you have anything else that troubled you? No, I think you? I think that those covered my the my you know the three things that that I that I questioned. I think we hit them all. So really quick, I'm gonna tear through these. Yeah, uh, just because I think it's fun. But how does this movie stack up historically? Right. So yeah. I picked a couple of the top scenes, a couple of the big moments and, sure. and tried to see if I could find out what was real and what was not. Um, overall, this movie did pretty well when it comes to how key events were depicted in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorites is even Doc's famous line at the OK Corral. Uh, You're a daisy if you do. Apparently, that is fully and totally accurate. In That's the amazing. shootout at the OK Corral, yeah. one of the cowboys got the drop on him and said, I got you now, Doc, you son of a bitch. And Doc... Guns holstered at point blank range was like, you're a daisy if you do, and drew on him and killed him before this dude inches away from him could hit him. So absolutely epic. And that's one of my favorite lines. My dad says that all the time. Anytime <laughs> we're doing something, he's like, you're a daisy if you do. Um, Curly Bill, the scene where Curly Bill kills uh, Marshall Fred White, happened in real life. Curly Bill does kill Fred White, um, but is not and is not found guilty. However, in the movie, it's said that this doesn't happen because you know the judge is lazy and is like, "Well, no witness, no murder." That's not what happened. What happened in real life was that right before he died, White actually said that the shooting was an accident, and so no charges were ever brought against Curly Bill. Interesting. Um, Wyatt Earp, the scene in the river, he does in fact march into the river, avoiding being shot by Curly Bill uh, at point blank range before unloading both barrels into Curly Bill. Uh, And this has been corroborated by multiple sources who were there. Uh, Fun bonus note, in all of his life as a lawman and everything else that he did, Wyatt Earp was never so much as grazed by a bullet. That, I mean, that scene alone... I would call bull on. <laughs> yep, 100% f- 
fact and accurate. Um, while Johnny Ringo does die in real life, it is not at the hands of Doc Holliday as the movie shows in that duel scene. In fact, he actually died of suicide. He shot himself in the head sitting under a tree and was buried under it when he was found. So what's sort of interesting about that is that's how he's left. How, yeah, yeah, he's left Doc leaning Holliday, up on the tree with the bullet in his le- head. And, yep. and he leaves the marshal's badge or something on his chest. And I didn't quite understand the exchange there. But, you know, as we've said, that, that's, that scene is fabricated. But it's almost like they fabricated it within the truth, right? Right. Like, leaving well, you a little doubt. Be like, did he really kill himself? Or did he get shot in the head? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's fascinating. Right? Right? Yes. Yeah. Because oh. even the way in which Doc Holliday shoots him in the head isn't, it's not like he just, aims and shoots it's sort of at a weird angle like it's it's interesting yeah yeah so in real life he was shot in the temple and the bullet came out the back of his head and uh and he was found seated in against the tree with the gun dangling from his finger so they they assumed it was suicide but now ooh, i never thought of that (laughs) yes and then he does yeah so doc gets the sheriff's badge because he wants the fight to be legal yeah and uh and then he leaves it there because he doesn't or the marshal's badge and he doesn't want to be a marshal right and that's the whole scene like when when uh when wyatt picks up the badge and he says my hypocrisy only goes so far (laughs) right um okay so the events leading up to wyatt's vendetta ride as it is known which is after the events in tombstone and Wyatt goes on the rampage to kill all the cowboys um uh, this the all the events leading up to it are fully accurate, but not necessarily the timing. And this could be a fault, as we talked about, about the lack of a timing element in the movie. Right. And so Virgil was shot in the arm the night of the shootout at the OK Corral. So yes. that same night he gets shot and maimed in the arm. Morgan was murdered by being shot in the back playing pool and died of his wounds on the pool table. But it was five months later. After the events of the OK Corral. So, again, totally accurate how it happened. Unclear about the timing in the movie, but this is when it happened in real life. I mean, the movie really does depict it like it's back-to-back same night. Right, right, Um, right. Not necessarily the same night as the shootout in the OK Corral, but the same night Virgil and Morgan together. Yeah. Um, The last little thing is Billy Breckenridge, played in the film by Jason Priestley, actually published a memoir of his life in Tombstone titled Hell Dorado, Bringing the Law to the Mesquite. And it portrayed Wyatt Earp as a thief, pimp, crooked gambler, and murderer. And while Wyatt Earp had protested this portrayal all the way up to his death, so the book came out in 28, I think Earp died in 29, um, and, and his wife had fought against it for years after, historians have actually found that this account of Wyatt Earp is very accurate to who the guy really was. Mm. In fact, the main reason why we know the name Wyatt Earp and sort of this hero, you know, sort of depiction of him, uh, more than say his lawman brother Virgil, who was actually the marshal of Tombstone during this time, is thanks to Wyatt's own intense self-promotion efforts. So after these events, he really goes on a tear of like, he joins like the Hollywood circuit and is like, Look at me. Here's my story. Here's my thing. So some of the stuff we take with a grain of salt, but everything I've included in here as told is true. 
has yeah. been said was true by someone other than Wyatt Earp. Interesting. So other people have said this did actually happen. But apparently Wyatt Earp was a total tool bag in real life. Would not surprise me. Nope. 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 He's a big old sack. Um, all right. So, but <laughs> none of this, none of this changes the fact that this movie is splendiferous. And yeah. I am obsessed with it. The quotability, the rewatchability, the action sequences, uh, the incredible writing, the depth of the characters that hits you in surprising moments, particularly Doc Holliday. It mm-hmm. is awesome from start to finish. It is groundbreaking, revolutionary for the genre of Westerns, yep. right? And it and it does so much. This movie is beloved, and it is all thanks to these efforts that overcame so many obstacles working yes. against it. Uh, the movie is an absolute blast. I couldn't recommend it more. I watch it easily. Easily I watch this movie eight times a year. Almost monthly I watch this movie. <laughs> it is amazing. Um, I give this movie... Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. Given its faults, okay, yeah. I would say this movie, in truth, in truth, is a 7.5 out of 10. Okay. I think for me, based on when, how I experienced this movie at first, what this movie means to me for all these other reasons, and, I mean, dude, Val Kilmer's Doc Holliday is, he's a 10 out of 10. So I yeah. think you take that 10 out of 10, and you take the 7.5, and, and you average it out, and you get <laughs> like an 8.75 out of 10 for this movie. It okay. is bordering on a 9. It is so good. Do yourselves a favor. Spend time with this. You won't regret it. I, I that's that's awesome because I think I think I'm right around a seven. Like maybe I dipped to six point five, but I don't think. Oh, so. Oh, that's I think too I, low. I, oh, that's yeah, too low. On our on our totally scientific scale that has reference points, by the way, right? We we've totally got reference points. On yeah, this yeah, scale. yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have reference. No, points. There's, there's uh, not how it works. <laughs> uh, but what I'm going to say is going to sound a little weird because I think what I'm going to say is usually reserved for movies when people when people say what I'm going to say, it's sort of like, uh, Oh, you're cute that you like that movie. Or like, I totally get why you like this movie under these circumstances. Mm. And what I'm going to say is I totally would be fan fanboying out with you on this. If I had seen this movie when I was a kid. Yeah, that's fair. I, and again, people, I feel like people usually say, Oh, I would have liked this movie if I had seen it as a kid. Cause it's usually a movie that somebody's like, Oh, I've been watching this movie since, you know, since I was born. And I think it's the greatest movie. There are plenty of movies that I, I love. that are terrible movies. Um, there's a movie called nothing but trouble with Chevy, uh, Chevy chase and, uh, Demi Moore. Yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> it is a garbage movie, like actually garbage. Like I think the movie is made of garbage, but I love that movie. And it's just, I saw it when I was a kid and I loved Dan Aykroyd and I loved John Candy. And so like, I, you can kind of give me like, I get it. You're a weird guy. I totally see why, you you know, like as a kid, I might've liked this movie. It's weird. It's quirky. It's got fun parts in it. But I mean that in a way that like, this was right up my alley. Mm. Again, as I started off, I would have been, you know, I had, you know, like, toy boxes full of western apparel and you know the metal six shooters that you put the cap rolls in and i had cowboy hats and i would have 
reenacted scenes from this movie over and over and over again. And I would have watched this movie over and over and over again. So I totally get it. But in this case, that doesn't mean this is a bad movie today, right? This isn't a nothing but trouble. This is a good movie. It's a lot of fun. Yes, it has its faults. But given the context, and that's why I think it's really important that we went through the history of this movie, makes it even that much more unbelievable and even that much more good the odds that this was stacked against this movie and it's really you know this ensemble cast that comes together and credits you know uh valkyrie um you know credits kurt russell for what he did and then the performances of people like val kilmer who this is probably his best role and one of the only roles that you'll really be able to stomach him in probably 100 percent um you know I, it's it's really good and worth your time, right? Again, it's what do I want to watch tonight? Watch this movie. It's accessible. It's fun. It's, you know, it's a, a, a shootout movie in a different vein, right? It's, it's what makes Red Dead Redemption fun. It's an open world video game like Grand Theft Auto, but it's Western and it's skinned differently. And so it opens it to different things. It's a shootout movie, but it's a Western and it's fun and it's different. And it's and funny. It's, yes. And it is funny. And if you don't love Val Kilmer's Doc Holiday by the end of this movie, then uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, then you have no soul. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I do agree. I do agree. And uh, and I think I think most people will, but we would love to hear your thoughts because uh, this could be one of those that would be totally divisive. I would argue that if you don't like Westerns, you'll like this movie. Yeah, it I is, think that's fair. It is so much fun. It's so much more than, than what the skin on it is. Um, yep. All right, so I think we are... We are way... We are, oh, yeah. I mean, this is just... I, we always knew this was going to be the case on this one. But I you're not going to have us for a while. So. Yes, you're welcome. Take the time. Listen to this episode in chunks, right? Episodically almost, yeah. kind of like Tombstone. And we've given you a series of crescendos, of mini right. climaxes. Um, yep. That sounds awful. I need to stop saying mini climax. <laughs> um, and so, uh, oh, that reminds me of a funny, st- never mind. That's not for now. Uh, that's a different podcast. Yeah, you can always hit us up, like I said, Instagram at Pause Reviews, on the website, www.pausereviews.com, uh, on email, pausereviews at gmail.com. We're on the Podbean app. You can get this episode and every other episode, but not just there, anywhere you get your podcasts. So use yeah. this time to catch up. And uh, let's see. And links to everything on the website. So you can always check us out there. Uh, links to the website on Instagram. It's all an interconnected, interwoven, interwoven web of deliciousness. Mm, deliciousness. Deliciousness. And uh, we will catch you guys next Thursday. Until then, my friends, I'm your boy Frank. This is Tim. We'll see you when we see you. Peace. Peace.